Chapter Seven of the Life of Jesse Harding Pomeroy by E. Luscombe Haskell. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Seven: Pomeroy's numerous but unsuccessful attempts to escape from confinement. From the time when Jesse was locked up in jail until the present day, his greatest desire has been to effect an escape. Like a bird in a cage. He has been continually in search for some weak spot in his room by means of which he might gain his liberty. No one can conscientiously blame Pomeroy for this, for the reason that in the first place death stared him in the face, and secondly, after the commutation of his sentence there was before him a life of imprisonment. By attempting to make an escape he has had everything to gain and not anything to lose. If detected in his efforts to obtain his liberty, there could be but little additional punishment inflicted upon him. He was suffering the most severe punishment the state could give him. He was living in what might be termed a tomb. It was with the idea that he would cheat the gallows that he attempted to effect an escape from the Charles Street jail while awaiting the disposition of his case. The discovery of this attempt was made on Tuesday, July 20th, 1875. With the aid of a piece of wire, broken from his tin basin, he began digging out the mortar in his cell. So well did he plan the work that, but for a timely discovery, he would have been able in a few hours to have got into the corridor. Once outside his cell, it was his intention, it was said, to knock down or even kill any person who stood in his way. He next made a study of a window recently put in. He wrote to friends with the idea of attempting to make an escape to bring him a file concealed in a banana. He said he wanted to go to Canada. Letters of this character were found and laid before the governor and council. After Jesse had been committed to the Massachusetts State Prison at Charlestown, he began to cause trouble for the officers. At the same time, some of his relatives appeared to be very anxious concerning him. They often expressed fears that he was being harshly treated. This, however, was very far from being the fact. It was sometime in the year 1887, I think it was in the spring, when a relative of the convict urged that something be done for Jesse, who was suffering from an ingrowing nail on the big toe of the right foot. General Chamberlain, then warden of the prison, said that Pomeroy should be properly attended to in that particular. Dr. Latimer was the prison physician. He made an examination of the toe and concluded that the nail would have to be removed. It was decided to perform the operation on a Sabbath morning when everything about the institution would be more than ordinarily quiet. When relatives of Pomeroy ascertained what was to be done, some of them asked the warden to be allowed to be present when the nail was removed. This request was refused, but the warden told them not to worry as he would be present during the operation. One beautiful Sabbath morning, while services were being held in the chapel, Jesse was brought from his room in the upper arch 
to the hospital. He was then laid on the operating board, and Warden Chamberlain, who was in the chapel at the time, was summoned. Jesse lay on his back on the board, and when the warden came beside him, he said, "'Good morning, warden.' "'Good morning, Jesse,' said the warden. "'How do you feel today?' "'I feel very happy today,' replied the convict. "'I had a very pleasant dream last night.' "'Indeed,' remarked the warden. "'Yes, sir. I dreamed that I was free,' continued Jesse, his face brightening up. "'Free to go where I wished, and no one to stop me. Oh, how beautiful the grass and trees and flowers seemed to me. I ran about. I rolled in the grass. I was so happy. And then I awoke, only to think over what I had been dreaming. Warden, do you think I shall ever be free? There was a peculiar smile on Pomeroy's face when he said this. I cannot answer that question, was the answer made by the warden. At this point, the convict was put under the influence of ether, and the operation was quickly and successfully performed. I have never heard of Jesse's making a complaint concerning his big toe since that day. The next Sabbath there was great excitement at the prison. The occasion of it was that Pomeroy had made an attempt to escape. He was confined, as I have said, in a room in the upper arch, which, next to the lower arch, or dungeon, was considered the most secure part of the prison. With the exception of the door, which was of iron, the room was built of heavy blocks of granite. Pomeroy had succeeded in removing the cement around one of these blocks, with the intention of pushing it out into the yard and to leave his room through the aperture. If he had succeeded in getting out of his cell, he would then have been in the yard, surrounded by a high wall, which he must have scaled in order to have obtained his freedom. He had partially pushed out the block of granite he had been at work upon. It protruded so far that it was noticed by one of the yard officers, who reported the fact to the warden. An examination of the cell was immediately made, and the facts I have mentioned were brought to light. Pomeroy was removed to another room, while the one that he had occupied was repaired. He made no reply when asked why he had attempted to make an escape. In a short time, Pomeroy was returned to his old room and resumed his work of brush-making. At that time, the convicts were employed by contractors, Pomeroy was in the brush department and had become a very good and rapid workman. It was not long after his attempted escape that Pomeroy and all the other convicts were removed from Charlestown to the new prison at Concord, Mass. Jesse was given a room which was considered one of the strongest in the prison, he still being kept in close confinement. As soon as he was put in the room, he began an investigation to ascertain if he could effect an escape. The result was that Jesse worried the officers a great deal. On three occasions he nearly succeeded in getting out of his room. He cut through woodwork and also removed the steel bars to his windows. 
This was done at each of the three attempts. Fearing that he might succeed, the warden caused Pomeroy's room to be covered with boiler iron. It would hardly seem possible that thus enclosed that a prisoner could hope to escape. Jesse was not discouraged. He seemed to think that the greater the obstacle, the more he should exert himself. After the boiler iron had been put in, he made several attempts to escape. He cut off the heads of the bolts which held the plates together. He always tried to get at a window. Vigilance on the part of the officers, more than the strength of the prison, prevented Pomeroy from escaping. Concord Prison was far from being strong. This was shown by the fact that a convict, put in a punishment cell at ten o'clock in the forenoon, was at one o'clock the same day captured in the yard. He had removed a portion of a window frame and, becoming possessed of an iron weight, had broken through the brick wall. I was told that Pomeroy suddenly desisted from attempting to escape on account of an order given the officers to shoot him if he should be found in the yard. I will not vouch for the truth of the report. A revolt and a series of exciting scenes at the Concord prison had the effect not only of awakening a renewed interest in prison matters, but caused the return of the convicts to the old Bastille of the Commonwealth of Massachusetts in Charlestown. Pomeroy was again placed in close confinement in the upper arch. Soon after his return to Charlestown, he began to make plans for an escape. He frequently cut the bars of the door of his room. In a short time, the iron bars of his cell were removed and steel bars substituted. It was thought that no farther trouble, at least for some time, would be caused by the determined prisoner. In this regard, the management was mistaken and greatly surprised. On Thursday, November 10, 1887, the officers and inmates of the prison were startled by the noise made by an explosion. An investigation showed that Pomeroy had been tampering with a gas pipe, which was around the outside of his cell. With the aid of a knife blade, which he had made into a saw, he removed the cement from between a number of the granite blocks comprising the walls of his cell and had also sawn the gas pipe. To this pipe he attached a pipe of his own manufacture, made of cloth and paper, which he had pasted together. The cement he took from the wall he put in a pail, in such small quantities that it was not detected. He placed his bed blanket over the pipe before he lighted the gas. It was a wonder he was not killed. As it was, his eyes were injured. Had he not had the best of treatment at the hands of Dr. Sawin, there is but little doubt that he would have become blind. The explosion tore off the plastering in the hospital, rent the walls of the upper arch in several places, and did other damage. No one appeared to know where the convict obtained the tools he worked with, except that he made some of them out of articles furnished by the prison. Pomeroy was sent to the hospital, his cell was repaired, 
and in time he was returned to his old room. Notwithstanding repeated defeats, he continued to cut the bolts and bars of his cell door. On two occasions he succeeded in getting out of his room and was found roaming about the upper arch. By authority of the legislature of Massachusetts, an addition was made to the hospital wing of the prison, the upper arch being under the hospital. This resulted in a special room being built for Pomeroy. It was as strong as it was possible to make a cell. The convict, however, continued to cut bars and tamper with locks. End of chapter 7